I already introduced myself earlier. I'm, I'm Nick Pickrell. I'm the curator of The Open Table. Um, and I can tell you that The Open Table is very excited specifically to be getting so involved with the Poor People's Campaign because, honestly, um, from our community's perspective, I don't understand how we could say that we are a Christian community if we're not involved in justice work. Uh, I don't know what um, faith is if it isn't justice and peace and reconciliation. And so that's, that's why we're super excited to be talking about it tonight, but not only talking about it tonight, actually getting involved, getting boots on the ground, and showing up uh, to, to fight for change, right? So uh, like I said earlier, uh, we're going to be going through a little bit of history, and I'm going to take that piece, but also up here with me is Reverend Eric Garbison. Uh, he's been a longtime uh, member at Cherith Brook Catholic Worker, one of our partner communities. I lived with this guy for five years. We're still friends? Yeah. Friends? We're brothers. Brothers. Yeah. Ah. Don't shake hands. <laughs> brothers, hi. That's right. That is right. So uh, Eric has also been heavily involved in the Poor People's Campaign, Stand Up KC, uh, all around fantastic gentleman. Uh, so he's also going to be co-facilitating this night with me. But let's, uh, let's start with some history, shall we? So the Poor People's Campaign. A lot of folks um, know about the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. I'm sure a number of folks have heard of that organization. A number of folks have probably heard of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. A lot of students probably, or a lot of folks understand uh, the names Ella Baker, Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King Jr., right? The, the Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act of 64 and 65. But for whatever reason in our public conscience, that's where we think Martin Luther King's work ended. And I wonder why that is. So what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take a, a trip down memory lane and we're going to look at exactly what Martin Luther King was up to those last three years of his life and then beyond his uh, murder. Cool? So let's watch this video together. Now, I want some of you all to go to Washington with us, even if you have to bring a whole family. We are going to have in Washington facilities, and we're going to have food, and we are going to demand that the government do something about these conditions. And we want you all to come on to Washington when you get out of school. With the Poor People's Campaign, Martin is talking about taking these poor people to Washington, build tents, and live on the mall until this country did something about poverty. Said, you know, we can do better than this. We assemble here together today with common problems. He started to look at the option of bringing all poor and suffering people together. And it's like, you, you know, sort of, uh, uh, doggone it, let's, let's, let's take on the whole system. Let's deal with uh, the systemic poverty. Thank you very much. We are rushing to get over to Alabama, and we've enjoyed being in Mississippi today. Uh, many people will go into Washington by foot. We're going to have uh, a mule train also coming out of the south. 1776, the nation signed a huge promissory note. In this campaign, we're coming to get our check. 
King was in fact talking about redistribution of wealth. He was talking about passing money down and shaking the system up. The poor people's march on Washington was going to shake the government to its core. Can you imagine what will happen if all these black and white and brown people will go to Washington and build tents and live in tents in Washington? You're talking about a redistribution of the wealth of this country? Oh, no. No, no, no. You're talking about new tax laws? No, no. Don't let King get to Washington. Powerful stuff, yeah? I'm just going to read this quote here. Now, when I say questioning the whole society, it means ultimately coming to see that the problem of racism, the problem of economic exploitation, and the problem of war are all tied together. These are the triple evils that are interrelated. So post-civil rights, Dr. King and others realized the need to come together to work for the restructuring of the whole of American society, which is an ambitious goal, right? It's an ambitious goal that can't actually be done without all of us. Black, brown, white, gay, straight, young and old, that's what, that's what this is about. And Dr. King also recognized that these three evils are, are all interrelated. We have to tackle all of them. We can't just pick one and expect everything to change. And so this is why I think we don't hear much about the poor people's campaign. We don't hear much about the fact that in 1968, there was this thing called Resurrection City that was set up. With makeshift houses, there was a cultural arts center. They installed plumbing on the National Mall. And what they would do is all the folks who gathered there, no matter what the issue was, no matter whether or not the issue directly affected them or not, they would all go together to demand change on something. So if there was, for instance, restrictive uh, fishing laws that were happening that would affect Native American communities, everybody would go to the Indian Bureau of Affairs and demand change. So this is the kind of thing that was happening. And uh, this is why I'm so excited that it's being resurrected 50 years later. So we're going to do a little table talk now. And here are two questions that we want you all to consider at your tables. One, we want you to answer this question. What issue are you most passionate about? What issue is it that gets you out into the streets? What issue is it that makes you vote a certain way? What issue is it that maybe makes you angry and cry out for justice? So we want you to take some time at your tables and discuss that particular question. And secondly, we want you to answer this question. How does that issue impact uh, low-income communities and communities of color? Okay, makes sense? So take a little bit of time. We're going to give you maybe about 10 minutes to discuss around your tables, and then we'll come back and, and hear a few um, reflections on what you all discussed. All right. So one of the things with the Poor People's Movement, it's a deeply spiritual movement, not necessarily explicitly one religious tradition or a non-religious tradition, but we recognize that the thing we have in common, regardless of what fuels us, is we care about the dignity of humanity, yeah? And we also recognize that song has the power to change the mood, right? It has the power to unify us. 
So we're going to engage in a song now, one of the new Poor People's Campaign songs. So just follow along with me. It's also printed in your bulletin, but I promise it's easy to figure out. Everybody's got a right to live. Everybody's got a right to live. And before this campaign fails, we'll all go down in jail. Everybody's got a right to live. Do it again. Everybody's got a right to live. Everybody's got a right to live. And before this campaign fails, we'll all go down in jail. Everybody's got a right to live. Give yourselves a round of applause. All right, you can have a seat. You can have a seat. But that does something to a room, doesn't it? So what's great is uh, whenever you all show up for some of these actions and, and hit the streets for justice, uh, you now know one of the songs that's going to be coming your way, and you can help others lead and sing along. We're just going to spend a few moments here, and let, let's hear a little bit from some of the tables if someone wants to offer their reflections. What issue are you passionate about? And how does that impact uh, communities of color and low-income communities? Um, mostly we just talked what we were passionate about mm -hmm. and not how it affected anything uh, except for the trolley cars. Mm -hmm. But all of us seem to be in agreement with racism, mm -hmm. something that we want to fight for. We want to fight for minimum wage. Um, we want to fight for DACA, mm -hmm. uh, freedom of speech, mm -hmm. freedom of the press, mm -hmm. great health care. Uh, those were some of the things that were mentioned at our table. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. What else? Yeah. One thing we talk about at our table is education and how public education isn't mm -hmm. getting supported. and The fu funding seems to be going down faster and faster, and it affects uh, communities of color, poor communities, much more than other places in the country. Mm -hmm. But under this administration, it's continuing to get less and less attention. Who else? Um, at our table, a few things that came up. Um, so Abby is in med school, so access to health care was a passion of hers. And Sam works in finance, right? So um, just the financial disparity, minimum wage um, issues. Um, yeah, Hannah was, you're an educator, right? Mm -hmm. So it was education. So I, I just noticed a theme that we are all, um, I don't know, we are all speaking from experience and like seeing firsthand the inequity and disparity in these systems. That's great. Thank you all for sharing that. And we actually made a list here of a bunch of different issues that uh, folks are fighting for, making sure that folks have the chance to vote and folks have access to education, that folks don't have to be living in poverty, that we are spending more uh, money on programs of social uplift, you know, climate change. So there's all of these different issues, and we, and we recognize that for a long time, for folks who have fought for these issues, we've largely done them separately, which is why the Poor People's Campaign is so crucial, because this is a movement trying to get everybody to work together, because we can do more together than apart. So... Um the Poor People's Campaign says that we can fight for those particular issues uh, on an individual basis, and many of us, I'm sure, have been active in those areas. But what happens 
when we move outside of those interests, those particular passions, those silos, and we uh, unite together, when we begin to see how they intersect with one another, they interrelate with one another. So I can give you an example. Cherithbrook Catholic Worker, about 10 years ago, um, we got involved in a campaign to try to stop the building of a nuclear weapons plant, production plant here in Kansas City. We got into that not necessarily because we are longtime uh, anti-nuclear war activists, although we were, uh, were committed pacifists, but because they were taking funds from our particular neighborhood, um, funds to benefit blighted communities, and they were re- readjusting those funds in order to level a, a soybean field in South Kansas City in order to create the plant. So for us, we began to see this intersection between not only the importance of abolishing nuclear weapons and the, and the craziness and the insanity of that, but also because the funds were being shifted from our particular community in order to fund this $6 billion project, right? When we continue to struggle to have poverty on a day-to-day basis in the northeast neighborhood of Kansas City. So part of what we're seeing here is the way we had that list of, uh, of issues because we do get passionate about something, right? There's always something that each of us are passionate about. So how is it that we can unite together along the lines of our passion, and I can help to speak, you speak for your passion, and you can help me speak for mine, because in so many ways, they can't really be separated in the way that we address them uh, on an ongoing basis. This quote helps us to transition to think about the fact that the history was important. This is the 50th anniversary of um, the assassination of Martin Luther King. It's the 50th anniversary of the sanitation workers' strike, where two sanitation workers were killed in their vehicle, um, martyrs to the workers' movement, really. Um, and then anticipating, uh, we were anticipating the, the March on Washington, which unfortunately was done without King and was a very uh, dark moment. Even though the, the, uh, the Poor People's Campaign moved forward, it had lost some momentum. Um, but we're, not, we're, we're lifting that up as, as a, um, a key moment not to just talk about history or to resonate with the past or to celebrate a life but to ask ourselves, how have these issues changed, and how do we now need to carry the baton forward? This is a quote from one of the co-chairs of the Poor People's Campaign. Anyone heard of Reverend William Barber? Okay, great. Um, he's a leader. He's For 10 years, he's been doing Moral Mondays in North Carolina, uh, and, uh, and, and the Poor People's Campaign is an attempt to um, move that model to a larger national level. There's another co-chair named Dr. Liz Theo Harris, who who is a minister, and together they have uh, challenged us to say that we need a new Poor People's Campaign, not just because it's 50 years anniversary, and not because the history is important to us as a nation, but because today we continue to struggle with the same issues. In fact, they, they are worse in many cases than better. I'm going to show you a video here in a minute, but I want you to notice, could someone read for me the subtitle of the Poor People's Campaign logo here? What does it say? Real loud. So this is beautiful for those of us who are people of faith because what we're saying here is what sometimes we fail to say well, uh, what sometimes we struggle to say, but that is that our faith belongs in the public square, right? This isn't about whether you're Democrat or Republican or socialist or anarchist or, or libertarian. This is that we, when we look at those issues in those particular ghettos of thought, uh, we forget the fact that it, these are moral issues. These are issues of faith that uh, our faith calls us to address. And sometimes 
when we look at it through those other lenses, we miss uh, the power that our own tradition offers us and calls us to do, which is ab- above and beyond that. Did you have something you want to say? Absolutely. Enslaving human beings. Absolutely. Now, purpose of profit is not appropriately addressed here. I don't know what's going on yet at the national level. I doubt that mm-hmm. Reverend Barber is uh, passing that over. He understands the history. Yeah. But I don't see it here. And, I, and if we're going to talk about morality, we've got to start there. Everybody's Thank involved you. in this. Everybody's yeah. human. But we got to start with what's been overlooked here. Right. Everybody else's rights, but, but black folks, native black people that built this, have mm-hmm. not Right. So Thank you. Thank you. And this, this, that's my mistake. Um, this slide doesn't come from Reverend Barber. The idea behind this was an activity to say, look at the different issues that we have and how they intersect. And it wasn't, it's not cumulative, but you're right. It's, it's blaringly missing in this slide, and I apologize. This is just the beginning. We haven't even talked about the New Poor People's Campaign. There is a sense in which the transition from civil rights right, uh, that, that at this moment in King's life, he is transitioning from civil rights to human rights. So how the experience and the call to change the issue of racism and black history and black suffering in America was the foundation for the Poor People's Campaign and was the impetus and was the model. What he accomplished, what was accomplished not just by him but by, that move, by the movement, uh, was the foundation and the model for, for moving into the larger human rights. Um, and that is a piece of this, that there is that this will be, we'll talk about a multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement, uh, which was his vision for the March on Washington, and uh, which you saw in that video, the different uh, folks around the table. So let's go ahead. Thank you for your comment, and thank you for addressing uh, my mistake um, in that list. Um, and I think there would be more, but that is a fundamental one that is, that is glaringly missing. So we're going to watch the video, a video now. It's about a 10-minute video of the Poor People's Campaign. And I, what you're, just to set it up briefly, 
There is, uh, there, this is what happens in the fall. They're traveling across the country to kind of ignite and to introduce the idea of the Poi People's Campaign, and they're going from different, one community to the next and kind of introducing you to various communities uh, who are involved, uh, who are struggling with poverty and racism and economic injustice and militarism. Workers who make minimum wage are protesting across the metro Atlanta area. And not just here, but also across the country. And this is supposed to be the, the richest, most powerful United States or something. We can't get clean water to our people. The fight for clean water, the fight for environmental justice, the fight for living wages, the fight for voting rights, the fight for health care are all interlocked. That's why we got to have a poor people's campaign. I'm getting together with all these people as a part of this, the Poor People's Campaign, and lifting up our voices together and demanding that we be treated with dignity and respect. Oh, we're not free, and yet I swear this oath that America will be. Wait in the water. Wait in the water, children, wait in the water, God's gonna trouble the water, wait in the water, wait. At the border where families are separated and we sing a song like, Wade in the water, God's going to trouble the water. It's that interpretation, that deep interpretation. God is going to trouble the waters. But not that God is going to do it alone, not that we're going to sit back and wait for God to do it, but that we're willing to be instruments. We're willing to raise our voices in songs. We're willing to walk into state houses. We're willing to do whatever it is to challenge these laws. We've been involved in the Poor People's Campaign, and it's taken us from coast to coast when I'm in a room with such great diversity. No matter what separated us, in that moment, we were all one. We sang in one voice. And I want to thank you for coming all the way from California to bring this Mexica medicine to us. We're going to go and we're going to pray. And then we go out, we always remember that we go in prayer. When this camp was started, it was started through prayer. I'm doing this for my ancestors, who, many of who were on the Trail of Tears or who lost their land. But I'm also doing it for the future. Um, my kids, we have to make sure that the water upstream is safe for everyone. I want to thank everybody for coming out here and standing with us this day. We gather in a ceremonial way in prayer. You have guns. We have prayer. You have guns. We have prayer makes me feel strong to be around all these people that care so much. Like a lot of us left our kids to come out here just to talk to other people, you know, and to organize and to share our stories together. That makes us stronger people, you know. I was talking to my friend the other day out in Standing Rock, and he said the reason they're doing nonviolence in Standing Rock is not because they're weak, but it's because they're strong and they're exposing the violence. When you want to expose something, you can't be it. Because then you look like what you're trying to expose. I was taught early on that there's no separation between Jesus and justice. That to be a Christian, to be a person of faith, 
is to care about the least of these, not just in some mushy way, but to be engaged on the side of the fight for justice and equality. I'm here as a preacher, because I follow this brown-skinned Palestinian Jew who never charged a leper a copay. I feel a calling with many others to engage this revival, to call people of faith back into the public square. Everybody say he nanny. He nanny. That means here I am. Everybody say here I am. Here I am. When you called us, the Reformed Jews, to North Carolina, Reverend Barber, what did we say? He nanny. He When Muslims and Christians and Jews, when leaders and clergy come together with the poor and with the marginalized, that's where we get the strength of God. There's that commonality that we have across religious lines. We recognize humanity, we respect humanity, and we know that justice is God, and God is justice. And music helps to lift that. There are artists all over this country, all over this world, who are lifting these struggles in visual art and in, in music. this mercy, this kindness that God wants for us. May we heed God's charge to end poverty for all. Amen. Amen. I was raised as a Christian and have been a Christian my whole life. I was called to the ministry doing anti-poverty organizing with homeless folks in Philadelphia. Looking at religious movements and seeing how it's all, those are always on the side of those that are oppressed those who are facing poverty and saying that this is not what God wants, this is not what our world needs, and something else is possible. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Make the community livable again. Amen, right? Amen. <laughs> and I think that those biblical stories and the testimonies of the people in this room can be our resurrection. We are on the Spirit of Struggle Revival Tour. This is the spirit of struggle. It's a spirit of connection. It's about what's on the back of that Michigan Welfare Rights shirt. You only get what you're organized to take. Yes. Yeah? And we're going to take back our dignity. We're going to take back our humanity. And we're going to turn this system around, right? All right. All right. So some of y'all know this, some of it's new, but y'all can figure it out. All right, here we go. Let's bow to the rich man's house, and I took back what he stole from me. I took back, took back my dignity. I took back, took back my humanity.
we believe that God is on the side of the poor, that God takes sides. We, as a ministry, and me as a pastor, I take people's side. If a homeless encampment is being evicted, I take their side against the city. If one of my kids is beat up by the police, I take the side of that kid against the police department. Poverty in Grays Harbor is related to poverty in Detroit or in South Texas. All of our struggles are connected. We're struggling for life and struggling for what Jesus calls abundant life. I just looked through that wall and I did not see criminals and rapists. I saw children. This wall is wrong. It is sinful. $40 billion going into this wall, not into health care, not into education, not into living wages. The wall that they build to tear us apart will never be as strong as the walls of our Our real job is to be human. And our job is to break border walls. Our job is to love each other, stay connected. who said that hope has two children, anger and courage. Anger at the way things are. There's a certain kind of righteous indignation. It doesn't have to be this way. But then there's also, you have to have courage after anger to, to be willing to address it. And the courage to do it with love and nonviolence. And out of those things, we have a hope for transformation. We are not afraid. So those are some of the um, communities. We're we're getting to hear their voices directly from them. And uh, we're um, one of the structures of the Poor People's Campaign is that even though it's a national movement, each state is organizing itself. Each community is organizing itself. It's not sending leaders into those communities. Our communities already have leaders, have natural leaders, have experienced leaders with voices and stories that need to be heard. And one of the stories you didn't hear in this video, but that's really important to the Kansas City location, is the work that's been done by Stand Up KC. Uh, I'm sure all of you have heard of Stand Up KC on some level. Um, And it's my honor to invite um, Sharon, Ms. Sharon Parker to come speak. Ms. Sharon Parker, would you come on up here? She... She is one of the local leaders for five years. Uh, the, the Stand Up KC movement has been going on for five years and has been striking for the, over those five-year periods. And I know Ms. Parker has been a part of that from the very beginning and has gone, how many strikes have you been on? 
Ten. Ten. <laughs> so she's exper an experienced leader and a special, uh, an essential leader to, to how this Poor People's Campaign looks in our community. And so she's going to tell you her chapter of the story of the Poor People's Movement and the leadership that she's offered us and why labor fits into this narrative. Thank you. Hello. I, I'm going to tell you all my story. Like he said, my name is Sharon Park. I work at Burger King. I've been working at Burger King for over 25 years. Real close. Oh. I've been working at Burger King for over 25 years, and all I make is $9 an hour. And so I said, I'm getting too tired to keep, you know, working at this restaurant. So I started fighting for 15 in the union. And so one day Daniel came up to my job, and he said, Sharon, oh, I'm sorry, y'all. So one day Daniel came up to my job. He said, Sharon, would you like to be in speaker court? I said, I don't even know what speaker court is. So Daniel said, Sharon, that's where you get up and tell everybody your story, why you fighting for 15 in the union. First of all, let me tell you who Daniel is. Daniel's my organizer. And so, I'm sorry, y'all, I'm messing up. And, and so um, he said, um, that's where you get up and tell everybody your story. I said, Daniel, you know I do not talk to nobody. I am quiet. I go on marches with you. I go out of town, and I go on strike. But you know I do not talk to nobody. And so he said, please, Sharon. I said, no, Daniel, I am not going to talk to nobody. The answer is no. <laughs> so he said, Sharon, please. I said, okay, Daniel. I said, I'm going to go. But I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen. ain't saying nothing to nobody. So Sunday came, y'all. So I went to the church with a whole lot of workers like me, like uh, fast food, like McDonald's, Pizza Hut, Wendy's. And so as I'm, as I'm sitting there listening to um, Fran get up there and tell her story about how she worked at uh, Popeye's, and her kids is going to bed hungry. They stumbled as growling. And I'm sitting there listening to Fran tell her story, and I'm shaking my head. I said, that ain't right. I said, why is Fran's kids going to bed hungry? And they stumbled as growling at this billion-dollar company. And they said, Sharon? I said, who, me? They said, it's your turn. I said, no, I'm just sitting here to listen, and that's it. And so that was over with. So week two came, y'all, so I went again. The same, like, Pizza Hut, McDonald's, and Wendy's and stuff like that. So Bridget got up and told her story. Her story was about how her little boy go, went to school and his feet was hurting and he was limping. And the teacher said, what's wrong? He said, my feet hurt because I got rocks in my shoes. And the teacher bought him some brand new shoes. So he was all happy. He went skipping home. His mama said, why are you so happy? He said, mama, look at my new shoes. And Bridget said, you should have saw that look on Bridget's face. Bridget said, why is this teacher buy my baby brand new shoes and I work at McDonald's, a billion dollar company. I can't buy my baby no brand new shoes because I gotta do rent, I gotta do uh, gas. I still gotta buy my baby something to eat. As I'm sitting there listening, I said, that ain't right. I said, I understand Fran's story because my kids went to bed hungry millions of times at Burger King's stomach growling. I said, I understand Fran's story because my kids had hand-me-downs for Burger King. I said, if them two girls is brave enough to get up there and tell their story, I can tell my story. So I went, y'all. I was practicing everywhere. I'm practicing. Oops, I'm sorry. I'm practicing walking up and down the street. I'm practicing at home. Oh, no, I want that. I want that for a second. And, and you know what? I'm sitting on the bus stop, y'all, talking to myself, just saying, yeah, yeah. This man sit down beside me. I looked at him. I said, I'm not crazy. Only a little bit, y'all. <laughs> and so it's November the 29th. I remember that day, y'all, because it's strike day. It's my son's birthday. Bam, bam. I run down the steps, 5 o'clock in the morning, y'all. I get on the van, and we get where we're going. And I, as I'm getting out of the van, y'all, 
I see all this pretty red, because I like red, y'all. And so as we getting out, and as we beginning to march, y'all, we march, and as I'm looking at everybody hold their signs up, signs said, we worth more, we deserve 15 in the union. I look at this sign right here, y'all. It said, I deserve a retirement plan. I said, that fits Sharon Parker, that is for me. And so as we marching, y'all, we march to McDonald's, we get to Richard's job. Richard get up there and, and tell his speech. He said, I got in my icebox two packs of ketchup and McRib sauce, and he told a joke. He said, my cat got more food than I got. And we cracked up laughing, y'all. And then we marched to my job. We get to my job, y'all. I get up in front of my job. I said, I've been working at this position at Burger King for 12 long years, only making $9 an hour. And I said, I deserve more than $9. Fast forward, y'all. I'm standing in front of y'all like now. I'm nervous. My heart is beating. I'm scared. But I'm proud to be here with all y'all. I found my voice. And I said, this quiet woman, Sharon, who wouldn't talk to nobody, says she deserves more and she is worth more. And so are y'all. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ms. Sharon. We really appreciate your leadership. Um, and so the three of us, and actually, Bill, would you come and join us as well? Another leader from Stand Up KC, Ms. Sharon's colleague. Um, yeah. Bill, I'm sorry I don't know your last name. Thompson. Bill Thompson, why don't you have a seat right here? Um, so we just want to go over some of the principles, and we think we have enough time to do a little Q&A around these principles, especially uh, on the second slide. So I just want to go through this quickly, but um, the first quote that Nick showed at the beginning of the slide talked about um, that King had identified the three evils of poverty, of racism, and a war economy, and how they were interrelated. Um, and that's what moved him into thinking about human rights um, at the, end of his, at the end of his life. The new campaign adds one more piece to that, ecological devastation, to say now there's a, there's a, third, a fourth piece that we become much more sensitive about, that we become more sensitive about in the last couple of decades that interrelates or intersects with the first three of poverty, racism, and the war economy. So uh, we've already. So this is one of the framing pr principles, or these are these are kind of an abbreviated version of the framing principles of the Poor People's Campaign. We already talked about it being a moral analysis. We want to. We're not worried about partisanship, although it might sound sometimes more partisan. I think as a as a Christian myself, when I read and, and understand Jesus, I can't help but worry about partisanship because I know who Jesus was and his radical nature. And it calls us to speak out on behalf of the poor and with the poor. Um, so it's not so much about where you stand on that spectrum, but what is really right and wrong and how people are suffering deeply. So the second slide is another um, kind of set of those principles. And we really want to give our leaders here some opportunity to respond to some of these. So I'm going to hand over to Nick. Yeah, so, so the, the, the first principle that's on this particular page, build power from the bottom up through strength in numbers. We, we recognize, and this is why um, the strategy of nonviolence has been so effective, is we recognize that all systems uh, need consent of the people in order to stand. The second consent is withdrawn is the second things start to tumble. And that's how we become more powerful 
uh, in numbers. And the second principle, and this is where I'd love to ask uh, you both to weigh in on this, is um, the, building, the importance of building a multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement. And so I wonder, with you both being a part of Stand Up KC, which is a local uh, multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement, what, what has that meant to you, and, and why is that important um, in this particular fight? You start, then I can finish at all. Well, um, I don't know. Uh, I've only been in stand-up KC for maybe two years now. Uh, and uh, I've seen uh, many different ethnic ethnicities, whatever, whatever you want to call it, um, and many different religious backgrounds. And the only way that uh, I see I see it uh, was how I was brought up. Uh, we're all people. We're all human beings. Uh, it doesn't matter if if they're a Muslim or if, like myself, uh, I'm you know taking things that you know as it is and doing what I can to fight for 15 and, and uh, any union and there's been a lot of things that I've done that's out of my comfort zone I'm a, I'm a very quiet person like Sharon most of the time I just sit at home and, and, and uh, stay to myself this brought me out of myself um, they came to me at my job and asked me, you know, and it was the first time anybody had really talked to and cared about the fact that I've been working in, in fast food since I was 17 years old. Until last year, I was not able to have any teeth. From 1989 until last year, when a dentist in Prairie Village read a Star article is when I got my teeth. But uh, anyway, I mean, out of my camper level, I'm going to, I've never been to church as many times in my life. <laughs> uh, my, I'm, I myself am Wiccan. But um, there's it's it's all we're all people. Okay. What if, just like Bill said, what it means to me is like I'm I'm proud to be here to tell y'all my story, but I'm not really a talkative person that much until I get to know people. But what I like about of being in front of everybody is that I'm, I'm trying to give my story out the best I can. And uh, my organizers had came to me and told me what was going on. I didn't know that Burger King was making all that money that they can give me some. I need some of that money. <laughs> and so I'm just proud to be here to talk to y'all. Thank you. And so these last two principles, um, they, they go together, right? I mean, we're 
it's important for any, any movement to be, uh, for leadership to be centered on those who are most impacted. And that also directly relates with the solidarity piece, not charity. It's like we are with one another. We are also for one another, but we are with one another. You know what I mean? And so uh, to that end, I, I wonder what, what that piece has meant to you both, um, to, to be a part of a movement that lifts up stories uh, such as your own, where that, that's really, that's really the, the driving force behind it, right, is getting the story out. So, so what has that meant to you, getting the chance to share your story and, and knowing that movements like the Poor People Campaign, Stand Up KC, is, is centered in that way? When I tell people my story and they listen to me tell, me, tell my story, I be, sometimes I look at their faces, they be so proud and they be happy to hear what I got to say because they don't, if we don't tell them that we're struggling, that we need to eat, we, our kids need to eat, they don't know. Uh, just like um, the rich people still got the money, but they need to open their eyes and see that we need food just like their kids need food. And for me, it's been a you know very similar experience uh, that the uh, the movement has has done a lot to uh, affect uh, a lot of different things. Uh, well, when we we've been they've been fighting for fifteen in union for five years, and. Uh, even when we gain ground, the politicians in the state legislature took it away. The voters in Kansas City voted in a minimum wage increase for the workers in Kansas City by 74%. But Eric Greitens has a little game playing that he's doing in, in Jefferson City. So... We're not a game. Yeah. We're people. Yeah. Amen. Uh, I would like to t- send my son to college. Mm. Yeah. I'd like to be able to travel to be able to see my other son mm. that I haven't seen since 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, and these people, well, let's just put it this way. The income gap, I don't know. If anybody even realizes how big the income inequality gap is, but for a average worker making thirty six thousand five hundred, uh, that's not what I make. I don't make that. But the income gap for the CEOs to us, they make eight hundred and forty four dollars to our one dollar. It's one to 844, not one in 20, not one in 30, and it's getting higher. What's the next slide? Okay. Um, So let me just uh, point out here, um, as I look around this room, I think one of the unique things about the open table is you, there are, this is a room not only, um, of obviously of allies, and I think that's one of the things that I'm hearing in this uh, this conversation now is what does it mean to be with and for um, and uh, alongside and to recognize that there are already leaders 
um, being that have been established through the effort of organizations like Stand Up KC. So to be a part of the Pork People's Campaign is to allow those whose lives are most affected by this, not to allow them, to recognize they are uh, the people that need to be speaking. They are more, um, their voice has been suppressed for too long, and we've contributed to that. So as allies, how it is that we come alongside and with, but the beautiful thing about the Poor People's Campaign is that it's really their movement. And uh, so how are we working together as community? And we have such an amazing organization, Stand Up KC, where the leaders are so strong and so experienced and, and have beautiful voices. And so um, that's true of all of the aspects that we're talking about. Uh, so we need one of the reasons we need to unite together. So a couple of things about the objectives um, of the Poor People's Campaign. Uh, one is what's already happening, I think, in these kind of conversations is changing the narrative around poverty and the poor, right? When we hear the story, the narrative sounds a whole lot different than the way we're, we're told, maybe even in church or in our communities or in the media or among ourselves, in our, in our families, in our rela personal relationships. Um, but also to, to build an independent m a movement where we are united together, working together. So, um, and that's really the objective of this first phase uh, that you can go ahead and... Um, and the first phase, we had you sing that song, is really, we really mean it, that the first phase is going to culminate in a large action or a series of actions of civil disobedience for 40 days across the entire United States. Um, and so those cards, and I'm going to start saying this now because I know time may be running out a little bit, but the cards that are on your table are how we can contact you. If you're not already, if you think you've signed it but you're not sure, go ahead and fill out the information but the first phase is really to get people's attention. We're not saying that civil disobedience is what's going to entirely change this situation. But the first phase is to say, here we are. Here we are together, uh, allies and communities of, of color and communities of poverty. We are working together, and we are going to change things. And we are large, and we are uniting together uh, outside of our silos. And we are coming together over this period of 40 days. And every state that's involved, and right now I think the list is 41 states, 41 states have signed on to the campaign, are going to be participating. Um, I'm sorry, we, oh, yes, we are. We are already one of them, uh, and that's why Stand Up KC is on the organizing committee. Um, and it begins the Monday after uh, Mother's Day is when this event's going to happen. But to participate in that, well, well we thought we'd offer it. Do we have time to have the second conversation? Okay, so um, – we recognize that that sounds maybe different for some of us uh, to think about participation in, in nonviolence. Go ahead. Uh, so um, maybe that's outside of your comfort zone. But as, as Ms. Sharon said, um, you know, not only is she using her voice and her intelligence, but she's been using her feet in a way. And, and Bill said so well as well that it's, it's outside of many of our comfort zones. So we thought we'd offer you uh, up around your tables an opportunity to talk about what, when you hear this idea of nonviolent civil disobedience, what does it mean to you, and, and where, where honestly do you stand on that at this point so that we can move forward, okay? So take a few minutes to discuss that around your table. All right, who would like to share something about what they discussed about what civil, nonviolent civil disobedience mean, has meant to you or why you think it's important for this uh, Poor People's Campaign, the new Poor People's Campaign? 
Yeah, um, Kevin was making a, a good point talking about um, talking about how um, civil nonviolent civil disobedience is um, responding to violence that's already being done mm. to people <coughs> through injustice. And my perspective is it makes the injustice visible, mm-hmm. so you can't hide from it. And then I think he was sharing about um, it, it's a way to like be a real Christian, mm. to really um, stand up and take action. I think is what you're saying. Thank you. Someone else. Someone else. Thank you. It's also a good time to raise a question. Maybe maybe you're not so sure. Maybe that was the nature of your conversation around your table. Well, at our table, one of the things that we were talking about was um, the way, actually, the people who do civil disobedience together, how you build a community together, and you you actually form deeper relationships with one another through a commitment to really radically confront um, some of the injustices in the community, and that you actually form your own community in the process. I thought that really stood out to me, um, because we had someone at the table who's done civil disobedience. And then the other thing we talked about is just really how... um, it exposes, how it, it raises an alarm for what's going on. Every day we have 64 million workers in America who make less than $15 an hour. We know that racial injustice continues today in 2018. These are emergencies. That's a national emergency, but yet no one raises the alarm. No one's raising the alarm, and so it then falls to us to raise the alarm. We have to confront it. We have to be the one to sound the sirens. We have to, Our voices have to be the siren, and so... Um, it forces them to recognize us that, you know what, you don't want to recognize my poverty. You don't want to recognize racial discrimination. You don't want to recognize the war economy. We're going to make you recognize it, at least for now, because you're going to have to haul us into jail because we're going to be shouting and screaming the whole time about this problem. We're raising the alarm. Thank you. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone? Well, I want to say that one thing that um, – some of us shared here is, you know, I grew up in Kansas City, actually not too far from here, and I cannot, I got married and moved away and then came back, and I can't believe, because I'm old enough (laughs) to to remember um, Martin Luther King's death and and assassination, and I can't believe that I'm sitting here 50 years later, because I saw what happened in Kansas City back then, and how they had martial law and how they had the city closed down and in separate parts and a curfew at 10 o'clock at night and I can't can't believe or yeah can't believe that I'm sitting here this many years later and it's still the same thing and it's time to do something about it thank you and um Give um, Miss Sharon and, and Bill a chance also because they had some comments about their experiences and what they've seen on, on the strike lines and the actions they've done. Well, I, I've been a, what, what, what is it called? Civil, civil, civil disobedience? Yes. I've done that. And like, oh, oh, I've done that twice. But. I don't, I don't feel scared or nervous. I feel proud to go up there because I want to change it for my grandbabies and my great-grandchildren to let them know, see what your yaya done. She done this for you to change your future so you don't keep making no $9 an hour where you can say, I can feed my babies. I, yaya didn't do it, but I done it. 
So that's why I'm proud. Thank you. Um, I haven't actually done any civil disobedience. Uh, I've been on uh, uh, quite a few marches, uh, actions at uh, senators' offices, th things like that, uh, in support. Um, and the thing that I found that, uh, well, they they're telling us in our movement, um, in order for us to get a union, we have to build our strength in numbers. If you want to get anything done, you have to build our strength in numbers. If you want to change, if you don't like the fact that young uh, African Americans are dying in the street because there's a more access to guns than there is a higher education, there's a problem in this country. There really is. So we realize that this um, thinking about um, nonviolent civil disobedience is important. Um, there's lots of ways to connect to that effort, whether you're the one actually getting arrested or not. is kind of irrelevant because it is, as some of, some of you already shared, it's a community effort. I will say that maybe I can speak uh, as someone who's connected with, with folks in church and how they tend to see. I, I have a Presbyterian background, and one of the things I find fascinating about Presbyterians is you know, you can stick them out in the middle uh, uh, of the country at a four-way stop sign in, the, in midnight and, uh, or at a four-way light, and they'll stand there until that light turns green. They will not break any laws, right? <laughs> and, and this is problematic. It's because the laws have benefited us. Um, they've benefited white people, people with wealth, um, people with privilege. And so we see them as our ally, we see them as our asset, we see them as our, and they are our power. And so, so really, um, one of the things that, one of the reasons these conversations are so important is because we have to reframe them for each other. And one of the ways that I've found helpful to, uh, to people in my communities are, um, don't think about as what you're breaking, but what you're, who you're obeying. So uh, that one slide that we kind of zipped through here that said Jesus and social change, um, you know, Jesus said we're supposed to be, obey God over man, right? And um, so, so many times our human laws are, are so unjust, and, but we're not necessarily just disobeying human laws. We're about obeying God's call to justice and peace. And, and if that helps you to think about it differently, if that invites you into the conversation, then uh, that, that may be a helpful way to reframe it. So having these conversations helps us to reframe those dialogues. But there's room for everybody. For every 200 people that may be arrested on that day, there needs to be 500 people supporting them. So there's lots of ways to connect. And so with that being said, we're, we're, I'm paying attention to the time. We want to be respectful of it. We're supposed to close down at 8, and we're close to 8.10. So uh, we're going to move right into the call to action piece. So there are a few different ways that folks can get involved. Uh, one of the things is if you haven't done so already, you can feel free to fill out the pledge card and uh, just make sure you mark anything that, that you are interested in on that card and uh, just leave it on your tables, and we will come by and collect them afterwards. Um, Otherwise, we're, we're really wanting to make sure that we are getting a lot of folks out for the May 14th action. And there are a couple of different ways that folks can get involved on May 14th. So like we said, there's going to be six weeks of actions that are going to happen every Monday starting May 14th through June 18th. And it will culminate on the 23rd where we head to D.C. There will be a collective call for us to go out to D.C. together. 
Um, and so on the 14th, uh, there are two different ways that folks can get involved. Every, every Monday on the 14th, there's going to be a 6 a.m. press event. Uh, and so we need to get some folks there at 6 a.m. press events. There's no civil disobedience that happens there. It, it's going to be a, a time for us to focus on the theme of the week, um, to highlight and, and center impacted persons so they can share their story to the news media. Uh, and it's good to have folks who are going to be allies who are going to stand there. All right? Uh, so that's one way. The other way is we're going to need some folks heading out to Jeff City by noon uh, for an action at the state capitol. And especially on this first week, we really want to get um, 200 people who are willing to uh, do civil disobedience, but we also want hundreds more who are going to be there as allies. Right? So those are two ways that you can get involved on May 14th and also know that there will be subsequent actions every Monday. Okay, uh, and so you can sign up for either the CD side or the non-CD side. And I put these butcher paper pieces up here just so we have an idea from the open table um, who's interested in these things. Also know that if you're considering to do, uh, civ- if you're considering civil disobedience, but you have a lot of questions, um, I did the first time I ever did civil disobedience, and I was so thankful to have gone through uh, a civil disobedience training where I got to have all my questions answered and to have a better understanding of what's going on. So as you exit, there is actually a flyer uh, for the first of many civil disobedience trainings that will be offered, and it's going to be Saturday, April 14th uh, from noon to 2, and it'll happen at Westport Presbyterian Church. So you're more than welcome to go there. If you can't make it, just stay tuned because there's going to be weekly civil disobedience trainings throughout the six weeks, uh, every Saturday from 3.30 to 5 at St. Mark's starting April 28th. So there will be going to be plenty of opportunities for folks to hop on uh, and and get their questions uh, answered and to go through some training. Um, So that's it for the May 14th stuff. But other than that, we also want folks to sign up to volunteer. There are so many different ways that folks can get involved. So, for instance, on the days of actions, we're going to need folks, uh, or before the days of actions, we've been collecting hundreds of these things for many, many months now. Uh, people, we need people to phone bank these folks uh, to make sure that they still remember what's happening uh, and that if they signed up saying that they're willing to consider civil disobedience, that they know when the trainings are coming up. So if you're willing to phone bank, uh, also we're going to need drivers to pick up different folks, to take them to the actions, to take them to Jeff City. So if you're willing to uh, be a driver, that's, that's a way you can volunteer. In addition to that, we, we want to have music there, right? Music does something to folks. And so uh, the Poor People's Campaign has theomusicologists. And uh, those folks are going to be having their own kind of training in order to get trained up in the songs of the movement. Uh, so that way we can have really good representation as we go out and do these actions. So feel free to sign up for there if you'd like to volunteer for a variety of things. So that is it. Why don't we stand and let's sing a song together as our closing. This song was uh, one of the songs that was actually in the video. Uh, and so you should know this. At least somewhat, but it's Rich Man's House, all right? So let's sing this together, and it's also printed in your bulletin. I went down to the rich man's house, and I took back what they stole from me. I took back my dignity. I took back, took back my humanity. I said, I went down to the rich man's house, and I took back what he stole from me. 
I took back my dignity. I took back, took back my humanity. Now it's under my feet. Where under my feet? Where under my feet? Where under my feet? Ain't no system gonna walk all over me. Let's go to the governor's house, shall we? I went down to the governor's house and I took back what he stole from me. I took back my dignity, I took back, took back my humanity. I said, I went down to the governor's house and I took back what he stole from me. I took back my dignity, I took back, took back my humanity. Now it's under my feet, under my feet, under my feet. Under my feet, ain't no system gonna walk all over me. Go in peace. Go in peace.